but even forgetting the like scorekeeping part of it, right? The like likes and the views. I think just in general, like making good work and making work that resonates with you and other people is a lot about luck. Mm -hmm. And so the way that you make that happen is just by taking as many at bats as you can. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think the internet has taught me that I am an animal quiz guy and that's where my (laughs) future lies. And this is what I'm gonna do. Hello and welcome to Emerging Form. I'm Christy Ashwanden. And I'm Rosemary Wetola-Tromer. And this is a podcast on creative process. And we have a dynamic duo with us today, Christy. I'm so excited. And I one thing that's sort of being a numbers person, this thing that really delighted me is that this is episode number 101 of Emerging Form. And our two guests did an experiment, a creative experiment that we're going to discuss for 101 days. So it could not be more perfect. Yeah, right? that's very <laughs> symmetrical. That it, it rhymes. Really that's nice. It really is. It really is. <laughs> I'm really excited about them. And I had this sort of silly idea that I was going to have them introduce one another. So our guests today are Zach Sherwin and Chris Duffy. And Chris, let's start with you. Will you introduce Zach? Oh, sure. And I'm I'm so delighted by the 101 <laughs> days piece and the 101 episode piece. And uh, honestly, the only person I know who would be more delighted by that is your other guest, Zach Sherwin. <laughs> Zach is a comedian. He's a musician. He's a rapper. He is the host and creator of The Crossword Show. He is... Uh, the writer and star of many of your favorite episodes of the YouTube series, Epic Rap Battles of History. And he is a comedian who has performed all across the country and on television sets, both near and far. He's a delightful human being, Zach Sherwin. Wow. Awesome. Wow. That's literally the best introduction I've had in years. Thank you, Chris. Uh So, Zach, tell us about Chris. Well, Chris Duffy is a consummate mensch and terrific host of many things, which I think really speaks to what we all just heard uh, right here. Um, To get a little bit more specific... Chris is a comedian. He is at times a TV writer. He wears so many hats. He's a podcast host. He is specifically the host of How to Be a Better Human, the TED podcast. Um, He creates all kinds of fascinating shows where comedians pit their wits against experts in various fields. Currently, it's uh, wrong answers only. And he is just one of the smartest, funniest warmest, kindest, most optimistic Mm. people all combined in one human. I mean, any of the traits would be off the charts for a lot of people. Chris has all of them. And so it's a delight for me to say his final credit, which is that he's one of my favorite people and very, very close friends. Chris Duffy, everybody. Oh, (laughs) round of applause. Also... Yeah, we've we've both started and finished the podcast for me. It's already a win. And, uh, <laughs> okay, so we've also managed to do some of the longest introductions in podcast history. This is a full half of the podcast is just us introducing each other. I love it. So very briefly, tell us how you know one another. Um, we met doing comedy um years ago through mutual friends. I think. Uh, would you say that's yeah? That's we were both in the Boston that? scene, and it was just kind of inevitable that friendly nerdy guys who a little bit did comedy that was a little bit not the um strict stand-up format at all times we're gonna meet and become Mm -hmm. friends so i think we sensed in each other early on a kindred spirit that's great 
And now we both live in LA and have remained friends. Oh, okay. Mm. And did yeah. have you done creative projects before the one we're about to talk about together? Um, we've never done like a creative challenge like mm. this one, but we have been on stage together and we've been at like comedy festivals and cross paths together. And I think we have a longstanding um much like I know you two do. And and the beautiful part is that people get to hear yours. But Zach and I have had like a longstanding practice of like taking walks mm-hmm. together and checking in on where we're at in our life and with our creative stuff. So we've long been like people who bounce ideas off each other, I would say. Well, tell us about this 101 day project. How did it come about? And maybe just start by telling our listeners who aren't familiar what, what it was. Yes, sure. So One day this summer, Chris and I went for one of our walks and we both started lamenting the fact that whenever posting on social media, and I will say, I don't know if this also goes for Chris, but more specifically like TikTok, which to me was just intimidating, undiscovered country. I had a vague sense that I was like too old to start doing stuff on it. And it just made me feel... (laughs) Anytime I heard the word TikTok, I felt old and irrelevant. And it was constant that I heard the word TikTok because it's everywhere. And so Chris and I were on a walk and we were, you know, he may have a slightly different version of these specifics, but we were kind of talking about how we shared a similar version of this feeling. And Chris, I know, very specifically said, you know, it would be so interesting if for like, and then he paused and he was like, a hundred days, we just posted something on social media. It would just be interesting to see where we wound up at the end of that. And Zach is really good at um, accountability. And so he was like, let's be, let's, let's actually do that. And I will actually text you every day when I do it and you will text me. And it ended up for both of us being kind of one of those things where it was an experiment where we are like, how, listen, worst case, it's a lot of work and frustrating yeah. and, and we don't like it and we'll just stop at the end. Um, and I think that we both discovered that it, like anything, had its highs and lows and actually was much more productive than I expected, for sure, in terms of the the creative piece and in terms of just like getting better at it and learning how to do it. So I'll add one last detail before we move on, which is that um, I love palindromes. And so I just mm. tweaked Chris's 100 day challenge to 101 <laughs> since it is the same. Forwards ah, and I love it. Yeah. Very. Do you have another favorite palindrome that comes right to mind? Oh, um, Yes. The CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company's name is a palindrome, and um, I'm sure that they don't have policies that discriminate against hosts being on air at any particular time of day because Canadians are famously nice. But if they did, then um, no Ontarian on air at noon would be a... Uh, wow. 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 That was... I had not heard that one before. That it's an original. Good. That is that is so much more interesting than my favorite palindrome, which is Taco Cat. Also a classic great one. Oh, and that's a great works. one too. It works. Yeah. So I want to go back. You you had accountability. And I, I really yeah. love that this, this little conversation that you had started with, wouldn't it be interesting if... But it, it moved forward the moment we said... We, I, I just included myself in that and move forward in the moment that you said to each other, OK, then let's do it. And I'll text you and you text me when we've done it so that it did have that accountability piece, which I think is so important for any creative project. If it's going to have a sustainability over time like that and you're not going to cheat. And- yeah. And I'll also say, I mean, I know that obviously people who are listening to this podcast are really interested in like creative process. Right. And I know you two are really interested in that. 
I have always found that like the number one barrier to me putting stuff out there is waiting until it's perfect Mm -hmm. or even good enough. And the number one way that I have ever gotten better at anything creatively is making it so that I put things out regularly, whether I feel good about them or terrible Mm -hmm. about them. So like I have a newsletter that I send every Saturday morning and it's like some weeks I feel really proud of what I wrote. And some weeks I'm like, (laughs) gosh, I cannot believe I'm going to send this out. And I have actually found, and I feel like people don't talk about this very much as artists, but I'm like, I'm not a very good judge of what is good. Like, I will be embarrassed by an episode of my podcast or by a an edition of my newsletter, and people will tell me that's their favorite one that I've ever done. And I will be like, this one is amazing, and it will get absolutely no response from anyone. So that is actually a really important part that of That might indicate now. that other people aren't a judge of what's good. I think you're acutely, <laughs> I think you're acutely sensitive to when you make good work and when you're just getting something out the door. <laughs> Yes. You know, um, my audience are both. Yeah, That's what I'm trying to say. Well, this just reminds me. I have to share a little story from Emerging Form. Rosemary and I once did a, an episode. I can't name it for reasons that will be obvious in a moment. But we get done, and I was like, "Oh my god, that was the worst episode we've ever done." I like. I'm not sure. <laughs> should we even put this out? And she was like. Well, do you remember this, Rosemary? You were like, I think that's the most important one we've ever done. This is the most, imp- mm. I mean, you, you literally said the most important, like it was so meaningful to you, these things that the guest was saying. And I was like, this is, anyway, it was just so interesting. I do Our remember. Our difference of opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Zach, they're talking about Maya. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Afterwards, Chrissy, Chrissy privately did emailed not me and like okay it, if we delete but this. I was like, yeah. this yeah, she one. Said, yeah, that's why we asked you. You know, Chris, it's so nice getting to know you. You didn't you didn't translate yeah. to audio, so I'm sorry. We got the world it. needs to know this monster is out there. This is the most important episode we've ever recorded. <laughs> okay, so the other thing that I'm curious about this is that you both intimidated by TikTok. I think that's a lot of people. So I think you're speaking for a whole yeah. bunch of folks when, when you say, I don't know how to enter this. I feel old and irrelevant. And so part of it was to allow yourself to feel uncomfortable and to do it together. Yes, definitely. And I think, you know, one reason why that really worked for me is like on the days when I didn't want to do it, I was like, well, I'm doing this so that I can tell my friend Zach that I did it. It's like almost for him more Mm -hmm. than it is for me. And, you know, I think I don't know if everyone feels like this about social media, but it is it is kind of like the most direct way of being judged. Right. Because you put something out and then you're like, here's a metric. Here's how many views it got or how many likes it got. And that it's hard to not judge whatever you put out based on like, is it the thing that got the most likes or the thing that got the least? So that's really challenging. But when I for me, one of the things that changed was like, it's not about this individual post. It's about like staying accountable in this process with Zach and then periodically being like, oh, well, I'm learning and I'm having fun doing this type of thing. Mm -hmm. And this thing seems like it's resonating Mm -hmm. with other people. So making it like a process rather than a product, I think was a big piece. I'd like to speak to the accountability piece for a moment. Uh I think that on a day-to-day basis, I actually don't, um, and I don't think, I genuinely don't think that this makes me better or worse, but I don't, I did not struggle with day-to-day accountability. I felt like once I could get myself into the mindset of we're doing this thing. Actually, at one point I began to view texting Chris every day as an abstraction. There was like Chris Duffy, the human that I love. And then there was also this like text thread that I would pull up as the last step in the checklist of things that I would do every day. 
So I just am saying that in mm. case there are any listeners, listeners who are like, I don't know, to me, accountability like isn't the crucial piece. I relate to that. And it was more like, yeah, let's get on board and get this thing done. But where I think Chris was really important was the fear that we're kind of talking about where I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I know that if I take on this burden, I'm going to carry it all the way to the finish line and I'm scared to pick it up because it's going to make me feel a bunch of stuff that I don't want to feel. And so I think having Chris on, knowing that Chris was there with me at that meta level at the very beginning was enough. Again, I don't know if accountability is that is the exact word I would use, maybe more like, I don't know, companionship or something like that. But that kind of gave me like the inner strength I need to feel like, okay, I can get this done. Can I throw one other thing in here too, which is um, I was on a a different podcast kind of like right at the beginning of this project or maybe even before we started it. And I was talking about how I struggled with social media because, you know, when I work with people professionally, one of the things that they always kind of ask me to do is like, is it possible for you to grow your social media following? Is it possible for you to post more? Like it would be easier to work with you if you were. And I interpret it as like more famous. <laughs> right. um, but I think what they really mean is like if you just like were more active on social media, you would make the distribution of these projects that we all are working on more uh, seamless. And I was on this podcast Fixable where they kind of try and help you fix fix a problem in <laughs> uh-huh. your work life. And I was embarrassed to even uh-huh. talk about this because I was like, this is so like self-centered <laughs> and solipsistic. And, and I think one, just like talking to Zach and realizing, oh, he has the same struggle made me feel less like a, you know a monster for feeling like that and then i think the other part that they made me realize is they were like look like at this moment this is like you kind of have two two things that any person who's working publicly has to do which is like make good work and then get good work mm-hmm. out to people and at this moment for all of its problems social media is the most cost effective way to get yeah. something out there yeah. so unless you want to spend thousands of dollars advertising or you know hundreds of thousands of dollars which you don't yeah. have this is the way to do it for free and so if you think about it more as like trying to get something that is helpful and like a gift to people out there maybe it can change the way you frame it and I still struggle with that, but I do think that like thinking about it more as something I'm doing to help people experience my work, which I believe in, rather than like to grow a following and get more famous in quotes is a that that I don't really I feel gross about doing the the second and I don't feel um, as bad about doing the former. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I think it's so interesting, too, to just recognize that those are different things. And so regardless, you can have the best thing in the world, but you still have to get it out there. Like just just the fact of it being good doesn't mean that it automatically finds its audience. And so I think we have mm-hmm. this tendency to sort of in our our hearts think, well, if it's really good, people will just love it. And, it, and it's like, no, you actually still need marketing. Like it doesn't just it doesn't just happen because it's good. It needs this other part. Totally. In comedy, this is something that I've seen. Zach, I'm sure you've seen this all the time, too. It's that, you know, in some ways, like, we'll see someone perform and they'll be so funny and they'll do something amazing. But there's 10 people in the room. And unless they've put that out in a way that it can last, which is the more vulnerable and like kind of scarier way, it's just like, wow, that was really amazing that we all saw that. But there's kind of no way for people to find the great work that that person made unless you actually do put it out in a way that is a little... Uh, more lasting or more discoverable. So we got so far, we haven't heard much about the project itself and what you did. Um, So here's, but as you, it sounds like you just said, we're going to do it, but did you have any other ground rules or were there any explicit goals in this besides let's do it every day for 101 days? I think the ground rules were, it just has to be what you count as something. 
I think Chris's definition of what something was and what my definition was were a little <laughs> bit different. And I think we kind of were like, honor system, post the thing that, that makes you feel like you completed the assignment for the day. So for me, pretty specifically, that was the same little wordplay video. I mean, we've already established in this episode, I like palindromes, I like wordplay in general, yeah. and that's sort of the lane <laughs> my comedy falls into. So I was basically shooting one little wordplay nugget that I would record on my iPhone and I would upload the same video. I tried to keep it, I was keeping it under 15 seconds at first till I learned a little bit more about the platforms and learned that that wasn't as important as I thought it was. So then, I, then it was a minute. Mm -hmm. But I was recording one captioned, usually just me talking to the camera, maybe with a still visual aid or two, occasionally something more ambitious. But yeah, it was a minute or less, one little wordplay nugget or idea that I would put out there. And sorry, it was the same. And sorry, Chris, I'll just finish this off. In case I wasn't <laughs> yeah, sufficiently clear about this, it would be the same video and I would post it to, I did it in reverse order of how fun it was for me to post it on the platform. So I would go to <laughs> TikTok first. No, sorry. I would go Facebook public, then Facebook private, and then I would do TikTok and then I would do YouTube and now I'm getting like more and more traction on these platforms. So it's getting like more fun to think about it going out in the world. And then my last post would be on Instagram where my videos did the best throughout the experiment. Uh -huh. Interesting. And for me, I was just my only rule for myself is I'm going to put one post up on all of the platforms that I use and I am not going to I kind of felt like it was I could feel internally that I was cheating when I put something up that would disappear in 24 hours. So it wasn't like an Instagram story. I was like, I'm going to put this up as a post and share it as a story. I'm not going to just let it be a story because that kind of felt like it was a safer uh -huh. thing and I wanted it to be a little less safe. Oh, that's interesting. So I want to hear what the first thing each of you did was. You want to go first, Chris? Ooh, I have no, I can't remember at all. I have no and idea. I have a meticulous spreadsheet. So you could name any day of the 101 and I could tell you what I did. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. My first post was, there was this, I spotted it like a year ago. There's a bodega, a convenience store near a bar in LA where I live. And um, it had this sign that kind of like rhymed accidentally. And to me, it was like a little song. And so my first post, I had wanted to, I had had this, I wrote a little song making the bodega sign rhyme. And I was like, <laughs> I want to go to that bodega and shoot it. And so the first day of the experiment, I went to the bodega and framed the sign up behind me and just like selfie filmed myself singing the song. And you could read along with the, the sign on the bodega. And then I went to go edit it on our first day and... I learned an important lesson, which is don't record audio with your wireless earbuds in. It needs to be hardwired into the phone or you're going to have like a real bummer of a delay. So I was like, uh -huh. it's day one. I can't flame out. And so I raced back over to this bodega. It was probably like a 20 minute drive each way and reshot it. Now a wiser um, TikToker. Uh -huh. You oh, actually sorry. just helped so many people, I'm sure. All, everybody yeah. else who's going to have that same problem. And here's something else. I'm curious. You mentioned that you, for you, it was important to have the captions. Is that is that an important thing? Do you think, is your posting on TikTok that the captions matter that much? I do really think so. And I now caption all of my, I kept, like I have videos in my live stage shows and my policy henceforth is like, caption it. Um, I think for some people, especially like, 
I know some people who have like ADHD who say that captions are like essential to them for having maximum absorption of something that they see. And I think it's just the lingua mm-hmm. franca of these videos. There's an app that I learned about a week or two into the game called CapCut that is incredibly helpful and useful for captioning. And like, I know I'm not being falsely modest when I say like, Tech is I'm okay, but it's not like my strongest suit of all. And I was able to figure cap cut out pretty. It's it's pretty user friendly. <laughs> I also had the same thing where I was doing it on my own, and then it became really clear that that is what yeah. people use to make uh-huh. these videos. And I used cap cut as well. It's also nice because it's on your phone, and at least I didn't pay anything for it. So you know you can kind of like do some of the more intricate editing than you would be able to and just in case because i wish somebody had told me this so if you know this think your own thoughts during this sentence but if you (laughs) if you caption a video natively tiktok has captioning software that and so does instagram and they're all their own thing but then when you bounce it out when you export the video to upload it onto other platforms you'll be penalized because tiktok knows that you've got an instagram video and all the other ways around. So when you do it from CapCut, it's just a, as far as these apps are concerned, it's like an, un, it's just a video file. They don't know anything about what's yeah. in it. It's just data. And so you can post the same captioned video and have it look identical across the platforms without experiencing an algorithmic penalty. Oh, that's good to know. This that's is important know. information. Yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about some of the highlights and lowlights. And specifically, I know, I feel like you mentioned before we started recording that there were things that you thought were going to do really well that didn't and vice versa. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Mm. I mean, this is where uh, I feel like comedy, especially, <laughs> it's just like when you put so much effort into something and then it doesn't go well, it's like particularly humiliating <laughs> because you just look so You're absurd. You're not funny. So like I remember... <laughs> There was there was one day when I was like, I can't tell you how certain I was that I was about to have like a smash hit. I was like, honestly, my career will be this will be the day where there was a before career and an after career. And it was me. I made like a a six second remake of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. And I was playing the part of the birds. So I was like perched on like a table outside my house walking and going like and like looking totally absurd. And then, you know, it was like me looking out the window, being scared at my own bird self. And I posted that. And truly, I think it might have been six people, including my mom, who even looked at it. So then I was just like, oh, this is the work of someone who is sick. Like, this is someone who is ill, not well, who has filmed themselves as a bird and then just showed it to their mother. Uh, And then a flip side is, and also interestingly, didn't before I started this, didn't realize they were both going to be bird related. But um, I guess I had more bird content than I thought. One day I was so tired and it was the end of the night and I was like, I don't want to break the streak, but I don't have anything. And there's a very old news clip from Australia that always makes me laugh where someone is, he's showing a large black rooster that won a prize and then the rooster flaps and he screams and runs away (laughs) and so i posted that i basically was like here's like my one of my favorite newsreels of all time and that was by far the most shared and watched thing that i posted the entire time and like i probably got i think i gained maybe two thousand followers from the entire experiment and i think truly 1500 were from that video (laughs) that's amazing that's very unpredictable yeah. So I guess, you know, what we take away from that is that you you don't know, like you you, you cannot tell what's going to go and what isn't. Uh, so you just keep putting it out, putting it out, putting it out. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think that people really underestimate 
in, I would say across the board in all fields, but certainly in art and entertainment and writing, the role of luck. And so I think some of it is just like it was the right time or the first person who saw it decided they liked it. But but even forgetting the like scorekeeping part of it, right, the like likes and the views, I think just in general, like making good work and making work that resonates with you and other people is a lot about luck. Mm -hmm. And so the way that you make that happen is just by taking as many at bats as you yeah. can. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I think you that's the only way you can maximize luck is by putting yourself out there as many times as you can. That's really wise, yeah. So how did it go for you, Zach? Yeah. Well, okay, so first of all, I saw the algorithm started feeding me many Chris videos throughout the experiment. <laughs> um, but I had not seen the one you just spoke about, nor did I know that story, and it yeah, made me laugh real hard. Yeah, it, um, <laughs> I think unless you're like Lil Nas X and your debut single, you're so attuned to what the internet wants that your debut single is Old Town Road, you like, you are going to need to rely in my experience. And I think in Chris's, you are going to need to rely on a numbers game and like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, which mm -hmm. I have to say does make me feel a little bit from this place of debriefing, like this might this might be a mugs game like it's possible that like that it's probable certain that like the tech companies kind of won here in getting me to play but to the extent mm -hmm. that i mm. you know fared better or worse in the game i will answer this question in a way that i think speaks to my entire experience so i was just like some days i would have a new idea like something would happen and i would be like that's my video for the day. And I actually got to this awesome place of sensitivity to the world around me and my environment where until every day, as soon as I posted a video the previous day, a clock started ticking and I would wake up and be like, I'm on the hook for a video today and I need to keep my head on a swivel until I find it. And then I would find it and then it was like, okay, let's get this out as fast as we can. But I really liked being in that very heightened state. So some days I would come up with something that I saw in the world, but on days when I didn't, I would like pull from the archives, some idea that I'd had in the past, maybe presented in a different way, maybe that I'd never presented and I would figure out how to format it for this experiment. So one day I posted, I made up this quick little like trivia quiz, just one question long, and it was actually about birds. <laughs> and, uh, so <laughs> this, this is, is actually, noise. we've discovered that the whole thing is yeah. bird focused. That's the secret to so I posted this animal quiz and it took off. It wound up being my most viewed thing. And I think the last time I checked, it was like six and a half million views or something like that. Wow. And it was exhilarating a couple weeks into the project. And so I was like, okay. And then all my other videos, you know, there was this like halo effect on all my other videos and they just, the numbers started climbing. I posted some other video and it got hundreds of thousands of views because the old one was still just crushing it and it was just feeding people huh. my next video. So I was like, I got to make another animal quiz. Maybe that's it. Right. <laughs> and so I did and it took off eventually millions of views. And so I actually called Chris at this point and I was like, I think the internet has taught me that I am an animal quiz guy and that's where my <laughs> future lies. And this is what I'm gonna do. And so I emailed a bunch of my word nerd friends and was like, 
I am about to have a seriously increased demand for animal wordplay quizzes. And I will, <laughs> if you submit ideas on spec, I can't pay you in advance, but if I use it, I will, I really sent out an email like this to a BCC oh group of 10 to 15 people. And I was like, if you give me an idea that I use, I'll throw you like 25 bucks. And if it exceeds a certain amount of views, I'll like add an additional performance bonus on top of it. Wow. And so people were like, I didn't get like, I wasn't deluged with a ton of submissions to put it mildly. So I was like, all right, I'm on my own. And so now I was like, I'm animal quiz guy. And I recorded a little theme song of myself going in. I, there were like stacked layers of harmony and I was going, it's time for an animal quiz. And so then animal quiz number three, I posted with the little jingle on top and it got like 15 views. And <laughs> it is the, it's not as immediate an example of as Chris squawking on top of the picnic table, but it's the same thing where I was like, this is it. I know what it is. I get it. And I'm going for it. And then the algorithms were like, no. So one facet of this that I want to talk to before I stop talking is that I am firmly convinced, and I don't want to sound like a um, conspiracy nut, but I'm firmly convinced that the algorithm spotted me posting every day from zero, like going to 60. And then it was like, let's wait until we get a video that has a little bit of organic engagement. And then I'm absolutely confident that Instagram then turbocharged that video and started putting it in front of more people's eyeballs because they wanted to incentivize me to do exactly what I did, which is to keep making more content like that for free that they could put on their platform and to just keep yeah. trying to rebottle that lightning for as long as I would tolerate it. They didn't know that I was going to stop mm -hmm. after 101 days, but <laughs> I really think I was being artificially incentivized to make more of that content. That's such an interesting insight. <laughs> okay, so let's figure, you guys got to 101 days and then did you just stop? Or did, how? Did... I, I think actually our answer is different. Aha. Uh -huh. So I, I felt like I was kind of feeling burned out by the end. Um, and I was like, I really need to just pause. And I, this didn't feel like a sustainable level of like, I, I, I think I really learned the lesson of I had been so afraid to post regularly and thinking that everything was perfect. And that was like clearly counterproductive. Yeah. And when I started posting every day, it was really obvious. Oh, like people, I will both make things that are fun and people will respond to it more if I post more regularly. But I felt like I needed a break. And so I kind of didn't do it for a week. And then I fell yeah. off the wagon a little bit. And now I am uh, I am right now currently like trying to mm -hmm. get back on. And there's all sorts of reasons, both like personal and also like the weight of the world yeah. that make it hard to for post sure. funny things every day, even though I kind of think maybe that's a I, I should do that and it would be helpful. But I'm trying to figure out for myself what a sustainable level is. Yeah, that sustainability piece. I feel like you, Zach, though, because Zach, I feel like you kind of kept going for quite a while. Yeah, longer. I could consult the spreadsheet, but um, I kept it going for a couple <laughs> of weeks. I started taking breaks on like I'm Jewish and I would take a break on Saturdays. I'm not like an observant Sabbath observing Jew, but I was like, well, I need one day a week where I'm not thinking about this. So I would take a break on Saturdays and then like the high, the Jewish high holidays came and I was like, well, it feels yucky to post like at this time when I'm really trying to like disconnect a little bit and look inwards. And so I took a break there and then it got a little more scattershot. And also at the same time, Chris kind of alluded to this, but like 
This was in the fall of 2023, and things started happening in Israel and Gaza that started making it feel like social media was a new terrain, and posting whimsical little escapist wordplay stuff got more complicated than it used to feel. Mm. And I also was burned out, and I also was seeing... I never did this, but I wanted to make a graph of my follower gains because it absolutely plateaued at a certain point. There were like a couple Mm. videos that got me... I. I went from like just shy of 5,000 Instagram subscribers. I now have 10.3 thousand. So I like more than doubled my Instagram following up to a 10,000 follower threshold, which for me is really significant. And um, that was like my biggest gain, but it really started leveling off. And so I'm currently at a place where I'm like, I have some stuff coming up in 2024 that I sense the need to start promoting like as soon as possible. And I like Chris, I think this is where we come back in alignment where I'm like, I really think this is good for me to keep some kind of presence in. This is kind of a natural place to take a break because I'm not interested in, mm-hmm. you know, gifting the world my opinions about what should be happening yeah. um, in the Middle East. And uh, I need to take a break and like reset and figure out how to keep doing this in a way that feels good for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's mm-hmm. important. You know, we're going to need to wrap up, but I we have one more very important question. Uh I don't know if you guys know, I've been writing a poem every day since 2006. Whoa. So I really understand mm-hmm. this daily practice yeah. part yeah. and how it changes things. And and I love the way that you were talking, Zach, about how, you know, you, you have that moment of, you know, you're turned on and you're like swiveling around. Where is it? Where is it? And you, you pay attention to the world different. Here's my question. What insights from this project, and it could be the... I think I'm really asking what insights from this process have you found that you're using in your other work? I I can jump in. Yeah, please. I want to think on it a little bit. It's such a good question. It's a great question. I think that my big takeaway from the project is I felt a sense of like, are we going to be able to do this at the beginning? And I think my takeaway is that unless the answer is a clear no, I feel much, much more empowered to trust my creative brain's ability to generate ideas mm. in an, it, it is a renewable resource, creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, Ooh, I like that. And th- that is what I feel the most. I feel a new sense of like, I am able to handle a self-imposed creative challenge in the absence of some external limiting factor. And the other insight I want to say from this process, I don't want to be too much of like a sweetie pie, but I love Chris. I really felt that this was great for my friendship with Chris. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I totally feel the same way about Zach. I felt like I was really like, I was like inspired. I mean, he's so obviously the spreadsheet tells you, but like the, the combination of like, uh, artistic, creativity and then also like follow through mm-hmm. I think is really rare and it was a, it, it, you raised the bar for me and 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 also just it's fun to have a, such a regular contact with a person who I really love yeah you know I think that one of the things that I found for myself and I'm still kind of taking the lessons from are that I have known for a long time that daily practice works for me mm-hmm. privately right I journal every day. I try and do some sort of exercise or stretching every day. I practice Spanish vocabulary every day. I know that those things really work and are fulfilling for me. And I think that it was interesting to then bring the public piece of Mm -hmm. it in too. And I think that one of the things that I'm still figuring out is like, 
what is the right level of regularity when it comes to public facing mm -hmm. things? Because for 10 years, I've been sending this yep. newsletter and that feels great, but it's once yeah. a week. And I think that like the everyday piece, I think both creatively and in my interpersonal relationships, like my romantic and friend uh, relationships, I try and think about like giving from a place of fullness, like having the cup that's yeah. overflowing. And that that's what makes you give rather than like giving and draining yourself in a way that isn't really helpful to anyone. And I kind of feel like this was maybe a little bit more of the like pouring out of your cup when you don't quite have mm -hmm. enough. So I'm still figuring out where is that? How am I going to like implement that? Because the other thing I learned is that like I have such fear of like putting it out and people not liking it or getting mad or, you know, something going wrong. And I, I think it really taught me that like, oh, that is completely mm -hmm. in my head. Uh, it's not like it's not a possibility, but it is such a more remote possibility than I was imagining. That's what a great fear to face. Yeah. Yeah. I think those insights are so interesting. And what, what's fascinating to me is that you two sort of had so many similar experiences, and yet it's a little bit different, too, and your takeaways are a little different. Mm -hmm. And I think it just really speaks to how individual the creative process is. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's such a – this is why – this is why people like listening to right. shows like yours and read and not just like yours, but specifically yours, because um, it's really interesting to hear how even people who do the same work, right? Yeah. Two poets do not write poems in the same way. Two comedians don't write jokes in the same way. Two nonfiction writers don't approach interviewing mm -hmm. a subject in the same way. I, I, I am endlessly like fascinated by and could nerd out on process forever because it is just you can always learn a little trick from someone else. And also part of it is just figuring out. Well, what works for you? How can you make work that's the most And it's you? so cool that it's the same truth of art in general, that when you look at a painting, you're like, there's something individual to the specific specimen of humanity being expressed here, but also baked into the agreement of art maker and consumer is that like there is some common ground. There's something we have in common. Yeah. And so it's that beautiful combination mm -hmm. that I know we both yeah. know from stand-up comedy that like... The specific is the universal, but also it's important right. to say your specific thing because the difference is important too. Um, it's cool that that's also true of the process of making the thing. It doesn't need to be that way. So I guess way to go brains is... Um, <laughs> well, that's a great ending note on the way to go brains ending. cheer. Yeah. Uh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Zach. Thank you, Chris. We'll look forward to talking to you more you. in our bonus episode. Chris, do you want to say something about that? Yeah. So if you are a paid subscriber of Emerging Form, you will hear a special bonus episode next week of Zach and Chris telling us more about this project, but also about their creative year that was and what they're looking forward to next year. So stay with us. Become a paid subscriber at emergingform.substack.com. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Thanks for being here. You've been listening to Emerging Form. This is Rosemary Watola-Tromer, and my co-host is science writer Christy Ashwanden. Our fabulous audio producer is Cherie Turner, and our music is created and performed by Kira Kopostansky and edited by Leah Shaw. Kate LaRue designed our logo, and Jack Mueller, of course, inspired our work and the name of this podcast. As he always said, you must obey the poem's emerging form. 
Until next time. Thanks for listening to Emerging Form. Did you know that for just a few bucks a month, you can become a paid subscriber and get bonus episodes every other week? Go to emergingform.substack.com to sign up. And if you really want to help us out, leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.